Come with me. Consider for a moment, if you would, worlds beyond your own. Every decision that was on the verge of being a different decision sent ripples throughout everything. Let us consider what could be out there, stories familiar, yet far different. Come with me as I spin you a story you've not yet heard from beyond your stars. Listen to me as I recite this tale. Hear me as I spin this yarn. Although I can only tell these stories, I will not nor cannot change them. I am the Raconteur. Take this world, for instance. A world that follows your precedent, with the notable exception of a notable former samurai. Furthermore, across the Pacific Ocean, turmoil had broken out from the denizens of America, only now beginning to heal. A civil war so familiar yet different. This is a land we will find foreign, but yet all the same. Once again, friends, we return to Earth 87. Come with me. Kenji Bushida's boat had finally docked. It had been an arduous journey. While he could have asked Washi, his old friend, and the Shogun for passage on board a royal ship, he was not so high and mighty to stop the leader of Japan from handling whatever important matters had found him. One of the sailors came to his room where he had been meditating while he was waiting. My lord, please, Akari. I am samurai no longer. Call me Kenji. Yes, Kenji. We have arrived at our destination. Excellent. Thank all of you for your service. Of course, Bushida-san. It was our pleasure. Both bowed to each other, and Kenji gathered his belongings. When he had left Japan, he had taken precious little. Two trunks and two bags over his shoulders were all that he had taken with him. Tearfully, he could not bring his horse with him. Kage had grown old. It had already been five years since he and Washi had overthrown the corrupt shogun, and Kage wasn't exactly young then. Then again, neither was Kenji anymore. He had gifted the horse to a farmer family. Kenji was tearful, but he knew it was the right thing to do. Washi's final gift to him was a young, brilliantly white samurai horse called Kiyoshi. His new steed accompanied him across on his trip to America. He had crossed an ocean to get here, and yet here he was. Apparently on a fife called California or something similar, Kenji loaded down his horse and mounted. They then trotted off the boat and onto land. It looked like Kenji had set foot onto another world. Here his eyes beheld large wooden buildings and structures. People spoke in rough, coarse voices, and he couldn't help but feel like he was an outcast. It was a warranted feeling, though. None of the people of San Francisco had ever seen a Japanese person before. At least not up close. While he didn't wear his armor, 
His and his father's were both being carried in one of his trunks. He did wear his three swords at his belt, those being his katana, his father's katana, and his tanto. On his head to block the sun was a typical conical straw hat, and of course on his hip he had an oni mask, carved and shaped from bones. In short, he was a stranger in a strange land, and he was recognized as such. He drew many looks as he rode through the dusty streets of the San Francisco, finally moving on from the gold rush. He eventually found a nice spot to stop and set up his camp. A simple lean-to with a small campfire, he hunted for himself with his Yumi bow he had taken to carrying. He was blessed with new scenery, he had no need of his nor his father's swords, and he had not heard the voice of Arashi, servant of the winds and storm in five years. All was well for Kenji Bushida. Of course, this wouldn't last. Fate had yet to have its fill of the Ronin. He would eventually have to make a run to the general store. The Shogun had supplied him with a decent amount of money, far more than Kenji would need with the sparse lifestyle he had designated himself. No, the problem would arise with communication. Despite his very best efforts, Kenji couldn't quite grasp English. He could understand it well enough, but he had trouble speaking it himself. So through a lot of hand-waving and finger-signing, Kenji got the supplies he needed. Vittles, the store clerk had called them, and intended on returning home, but alas, it was not meant to be. Trotting back, humming another tune he had learned from his mother, he stopped at a large building. Kenji guessed this was a bank, but he saw a large group of ruffians laughing as they held bags over their shoulders. Upon seeing their black clothing and matted horses, he knew what he saw. Bandits. Even though he could hardly translate as fast as they spoke, he knew what they were. They were the same here as they were back home, marauders who refused to work and tried to profit off the hard work of others. Those who maimed and injured to live life without effort. Those who murdered and stained honor without any thought for repercussion. Kenji felt that old anger swell up inside of him, the same anger he'd felt when that noble woman had died. He drew himself before the gaggle of bandits. His righteous fury had boiled over, and he was ready to dish it out. As he stood before them, wrapped in a kimono, his, and his conical hat pulled over his eyes, hands on his katanas, they stopped their chatter, and the leader spoke up. Can I help you, buddy? What Kenji intended to say was something along the lines of, I am Kenji Bushida, servant of the winds and storm. You will die by my hand. He had forgotten about the language barrier, so he made no effort to translate his words, speaking in his native tongue. The outlaws couldn't make heads or tails of what he said, but when he drew his sword and stared up at them from beneath his hat, eyes full of pure anger, they then understood. They each laughed rough and hearty laughs as they pulled their revolvers from their holsters. Once again, Kenji felt his contempt raised. He believed that only cowards used guns. Only true warriors would look another in the face and duel with a blade. Kenji cared little whether or not he would die here. He'd prefer not to, but he wasn't going to let these thieves run off with valuables that weren't theirs. As he held his katana to a ready stance, they laughed, joking about how they would shoot him down like a dog. But before they could, a whooping, screeching cry echoed from the sandy wastes behind them. A group of five riders rushed forward, seemingly out of nowhere. They all wore similar clothing to the outlaws, except they were all looked cleaner, and they were running around circles around their opposition, spinning guns and firing random shots as they managed to get all the outlaws to run for the hills. 
One's horse bucked him and charged away, leaving its rider behind. Kenji put a foot to his chest and held the point of his katana to the outlaw's throat. One of the new riders hopped off their horse and walked over to where Kenji stood. His rugged face and silver hair contrasted greatly to his black outfit, but his buckle, spurs, and buttons gleamed silver. He drew an equally polished magnum from his belt, crouched down and pointed the barrel of his gun on the man whose Kenji's sword threatened. Where is Nathaniel Lovelace? Go to hell, Yankee! Kenji shuffled backwards as the newer ruffian grabbed the man by the collar and drug him over to the open fire. He stood up and shoved the other down. I'm gonna ask again, where is Nathaniel Lovelace? Go to hell, Yank! Well, that's right. The newcomer shoved his boot down onto the captive. Forcing his head down into the embers of the fire, the outlaw screamed as the fire blazed his face. Two of the other newcomers came and pulled the other off of him. The rest of the criminals had been tied up and left on the ground. Silverhair rubbed his eyes and motioned towards another in a white outfit. Otto, go tell the local constable that O'Malley's been dealt with. White suit nodded and walked off towards town. Silverhair spat on the ground and put a hand-rolled cigarette into his mouth, lit it, and walked over to Kenji. Howdy. Thanks for holding him for me. I'm Gray. Regulus Gray. My posse and I have been hunting that O'Malley down for a while now, but he kept wiggling out of our hands. Who are you? Kenji had to take a moment to try and translate in his head before responding. I am Kenji Bushida. I am from East. Not good at English. Regulus Gray raised an eyebrow as he listened and then nodded as he understood. Don't worry about it, then. It was nice to meet you, Kenji. I'm sure you'll be all right around this place. Now, if you'll excuse me. He turned and walked back to his compatriot and the white outfit came to view. Wait. Regulus turned back around. You hunt... Uh... Dorobo? If by Dorobo you mean outlaws like them, then yes. I've made it my mission in life to hunt down one in particular. Kenji took a moment. He had to decide. Was he truly done with this life? Or did he still want to see justice done? The gods themselves asked him to slay an unjust ruler, and here he was, in a backwards, lawless land with no unified ruler, at least one that wasn't involved as a shogun. And here was a group of vigilantes who had taken the American people's safety into their own hand to stop outlaws like these. He knew he couldn't just leave this calling behind. Can I... assist? You want to saddle up and hunt down with us? The silver-haired man gazed at Kenji. If you could stare down a group like that holding just a sword, hell, buddy, I don't see why not. Welcome aboard. He held out a hand to shake. Kenji looked at this, confused why his new acquaintance just extended a hand. Then he recalled something about these Americans shaking hands rather than bowing. So Kenji took his hand and shook it. The American laughed at Kenji's handshake and told him in low tones they'd work on it. He then introduced himself as Regulus Gray, formerly Officer Gray, if Kenji would prefer but most of the folk just took to calling him Reg or Gray. Gray took Kenji to meet the rest of the cowboys, as Gray called them. 
He brought Kenji to a pair who were tending to horses, one with darker skin and one with a more tan complexion. He pointed them out as Abraham, just call him the river, Stanley, and Andre Mancini. When Gray called Andre the Italian Stallion, he received a flow of rapid-fire Italian, which Kenji had no hope of even trying to understand. Abraham laughed as he brushed a dark horse, then said, Yes, I believe he prefers the term Sicilian. The two of them met Kenji, but both thankfully refrained from handshakes. Kenji bowed to both of them, and they returned to it, however imperfectly. Gray then introduced him to the cowboy in the white outfit, a Norwegian immigrant named Otto Ostrad. While Regulus and Otto spoke, the Norwegian man fiddled with gears and washers before replacing them in his pockets. After leaving the man in white, Regulus lastly introduced Kenji to another one slightly darker than Andre, who he called Kelle. This Indian, Regulus began, getting misty-eyed. This Indian took a bullet for me from some Johnny Rib. Gray clapped Kelle on the shoulder. He was the first person I recruited when we set out. Regulus agreed to allowing Kenji to return to his home to pack Kiyoshi with his gear for travel. When Kenji returned, he saw the vigilantes throwing together their final preparations. Then, as Kenji drew closer, they mounted their horses and waved him over. Trotting towards them, Regulus and Otto became immersed in a map and figuring out where they were going. Abraham and Kelle were joining their voices in some kind of folk song. Andre spotted Kenji keeping to himself and brought his horse, Karina, next to Kiyoshi. It was dark, dingy, and crowded. The crowd grew very quickly as they entered, and more and more people shoved their way through the wooden swinging doors. Otto's perceptive eyes caught them a table, and they sat. Kenji watched as Gray's eyes shifted around the saloon. They never sat still in their sockets. Perhaps it was warranted, though, as nearly everyone in, their, in the bar had their eyes on the group of cowboys. Regulus leaned closer to the table. Phyllis, I think we're the talk of the town. No one do anything stupid. What's the plan here, Reg? Abraham asked. Nothing yet. I think I'm going to try a game of cards for some info. Kelly found a print that looked a hell of a lot like Lovelace's, but I need to know for sure. Matter of fact, River, Kenji, two of you are with me while I try to win us some tin. Abraham and Kenji stood up from the table while Andre, Otto, and Kelly ordered their drinks. Kenji spotted Otto pulling small pieces of metal and plastic from his pockets and began to start fitting them together. Andre pulled a long, very slender something wrapped in purple cloth from his bag and set it across his lap. Kele pulled a few arrows from his quiver and nodded to Regulus. Kenji wondered what that could mean. Regulus led them to a table with a group of rowdy customers playing cards. Deal me in. With pleasure, officer. Kenji saw a flash of recognition go across Regulus's face. I'm not believing that Officer Regulus Gray has come and sat himself down in front of my table and asked me to deal him in. Morrigan Nash, I thought for sure you had taken a lead plum straight to the noggin. You'd be right, Gray, but you know I've got the devil's own luck on my side. Kenji was listening to this exchange and it struck him as odd. Despite the meaning of their words, the speaker's tone told him that he held no respect for each other. Or even compassion for each other. He looked over to Abraham, whose jaw was tightly clenched. Kenji was uneasy as his friends sank into chairs. He elected to remain standing. The game Nash was running had just finished, and he began dealing out cards for the next. What'll you be playing for, Gray? I've got people playing for all sorts of prizes. Nash pointed to each of them in turn. She just wants some extra years onto her life. 
he wants five minutes with his mama again, and he's after the fountain of youth. So, Gray, what are you after? Regulus met his gaze evenly, then said very calmly, Information about Nathaniel Lovelace. You're not still after him, Rick. You're gonna wind up in a ditch one of these days. It's not any of your goddamn business what I'm after. I told you my goal. Deal me in. Alrighty. But you know there's an entry fee. Nash then produced a wicked-looking black metal knife and handed it to Regulus. Oh, wait. Almost forgot. Gambling man continued. Then he pulled out a gun made of the same black material as the knife and gave it to the man desperate for the Fountain of Youth. The man's eyes were wide as he looked to the gun in Nash's hands. Nash's voice held no pity. You knew the rules. One bullet, five spaces. The odds are on your side. The man shakily took the gun in his hand and raised it to his temple. He breathed deeply and pulled the trigger. A sound of a gunshot filled the room. Yet the man didn't move. His eyes had become solid black and he slumped over in his chair. Nash retrieved his gun and leaned the man back in his chair. In all the commotion, Kenji only saw a gray hand back a bloodied knife. Then he received his cards. It was hard for Kenji to follow the game, so eventually he gave up and asked about Morgan Nash to Abraham. While never taking his eyes off the game, he said, The gambling man is a card sharp who works the river boats. Occasionally, he'll stop at a saloon. Apparently, he used to be part of the union but received some kind of leg injury and got discharged. Anyway, he'll play anyone. It doesn't matter if you got the ante or not. When you lose, and damn, it's very likely you will, he might take your health, your happiness, or your success for he tidally takes the remaining years of your life. He always wins, because the first pot he ever took on that long, winding river was another sharp's luck. Well, so they say. Kenji looked at him with wide eyes, then he glanced at the game still going. Regulus's expression gave away nothing about the goings-on of the game. Then he looked at the dead man in the chair. Abraham read Kenji's expression and continued. To hear him tell it, he never went through the loveless process. He began his career when he won a bet to have a man take his place in hell. The discussion was only heard by the two of them. People at the table were far too distracted by the steadily increasing stakes of the game. Kenji tensed his grip on one of his katanas, a sudden feeling that this might not go very well rising in his stomach. So, Gray, exactly how long have you been after this guy? Nash asked, turning over some poker chips onto the table. Not terribly long, Regulus replied, pushing forward two more than the dealer had pushed. The man, who was desperate to see his mother again, sighed audibly, then put his cards down. He shook his head, then left the table. The gambling man snickered as he saw this. He then put forth more chips and threw his hand of cards onto the table. Regulus grunted and pushed his chips forward. The woman at the table put her head in her hands and began to cry. Nash looked over at her, clicked his tongue, and pushed the gun over to her. The woman, eyes still pouring tears, took the gun in her hands and raised it to her head. There was a click, nothing more. She put the gun down, then quickly left the table. Regulus continued the game. Kenji narrowed his eyes. Something was confusing him. Abraham didn't seem to have caught it yet. Regulus continuously had two specific cards in his hands. 
Genji didn't know much about poker, but he was fairly certain that that was not supposed to happen. The gambling man scoffed as Regulus won another round. The stakes grew once again. Then Regulus's luck ran out. With nothing else to distract Nash, Regulus took a big puff of his cigarette and blew the smoke into Nash's face. For a moment, Nash's eyes clouded over. Literally, it looked like storm clouds rolled over his eyes. And then they snapped back to normal. Then anger filled them. Regulus Gray, you cheat! You lying, cheating, sack of- Hold a moment, Norm Morgan. No! You tried to trick me with that smoke of yours! I'll skin you alive, Morgan, please- Boys! Get in here! Then, seven large cowhands came in from an adjacent room. Abraham stood up and began looking around. Morgan Nash, the gambling man, looked Regulus up and down. I always knew you weren't worth a fang, Gray. I'm going to give you all five seconds to get on your knees and start begging forgiveness. Kenji glanced around the room. Andre, Kelly, and Otto had been waylaid by more goons. They won't be able to assist anytime soon. Five! Regulus put his hat back on and dropped his hands over the handles of the revolvers. Four! Abraham had produced strips of cloth from his pockets and started wrapping his hands, his big rifle unhelpful in these close quarters. Three! Kenji took in his surroundings. Could he disarm all of them in three seconds? If he were a younger man, most definitely. But now? He wasn't so sure. Two! Two seconds from now, even less time. His window was closing. His fingers brushed against the mask carved from bone on his hip. Was it time? One. Yes, it was. Kenji had to hope that the kami still endorsed Arashi, the redeemed Oni. There was a hissing ring of steel on wood, a blindingly quick movement and a sickening, gushing sound as Morgan Nash's jaw clattered to the floor. Unable to issue further orders, Nash screamed out, then fell. Kenji returned his sword to the scabbard and said from behind the bone half-mask, Zero. As he said this, a laughter rang out from behind the mask. In Kenji's mind, he heard, Hello again, Bushidasa. Still have a use for old Arashi? Regulus recovered first. He took another drag of his cigarette and blew the smoke over the face of one of the stunned hunchmen, who started screaming and clawing at his chest. He began to run amuck in the tavern as though he were on fire. Regulus, Abraham, and Kenji backed out of the back room the games had been going on in and began to attempt to navigate out. Before they did, Regulus rushed past Nash's hired muscle and grabbed something from the gambling man's holster. As they joined up with the other three, they made their way to the door but it was blocked by a stout goon. Otto then retrieved a spherical device from his pockets and handed it to the lackey blocking the door. Otto then hurriedly yelled for the cowboys to block their eyes as a blinding white light filled the room. Kenji, blinking rapidly, had been caught in the blast and felt someone grab his shoulder and guide him out. Kenji heard gunshots and yelling behind him, and then someone shoved him and threw him down. Kenji spat the sand from his mouth and saw now that the six of them were behind the building adjacent to the saloon. Abraham Andre Kelle and Regulus were each had their guns, or bow, out and were firing off at their attackers. Kenji brushed himself off, debating on what he could do to help. Otto was on the other side, attempting to find blind spots in the offense. Kenji was not equipped to handle a firefight. Perhaps if he was better equipped, he could stand a chance at 
at this fight, but his armor and the greater amount of his samurai supplies were left with his horse back at the saloon. The saloon, which was currently very heavily guarded, yielded itself to Kenji's eyes. He readjusted the samurai half-mask, carved from bone and imbued with the soul of the demon Arashi, over his eyes and hustled quietly over to where their horses were tied. He found Kiyoshi and unbound his armor. From there, he pulled it over his body and unsheathed his katana. He yelled a guttural roar and drew the attention of the outlaws. The sword gleamed in the setting sun. He pointed at one of the gunmen in particular. Kenji noticed that the dark smoke was rolling in and curled in around him. His eyes remained clear, and with, and with the demon aiding his own, he could see that his enemy's eyes were black and glossy. But as they stared at him, he, they began to quiver and shake. Several dropped their weapons and ran back through the door. Kenji took slow and menacing steps towards their remaining numbers. He could see their resolve lessening. He could only imagine what they were seeing in his place. He knew that once before, he and Arashi had melted their souls and became a strange, six-armed, oni-human hybrid. But he knew that wasn't occurring now. Perhaps they saw him as some sort of dragon. It mattered little, though, as the smoke that had been kicked up made it look as though the town had been plunged into the dead of night. He could hear the screams of the bravest as they ran from the demonic swordsmen that had been inching closer and closer. Kenji whistled and mounted Kyoshi, then trotted over to his friends. Not long later, they were back on the road, and with, Kenji thought, no further idea as to where Nathaniel Lovelace was. Luckily, he was mistaken. Regulus informed him once they stopped riding that for the day. Well, Morgan Nash's games are, or I guess were, never really the most clearly written things. Even if he couldn't beat them, even with his abilities as the gambling man, he could always be certain he could outlive them. So he always put the final decision on who lived longer. Technically, I survived the game and he didn't. I won. So his ability triggered right as he died, granting me the knowledge he was wagering. Now I know that Doc Lovelace's last known location was Silverton, California, IA. Furthermore, his power was based on his cards, cards which I now possess. I don't know if I'll be able to use them like he can, but I know at the very least these things are sharp, and I'm damn sure going to learn how to throw them. Regulus was explaining this to Kenji as well as the rest of the group, to which Andre raised a hand to answer, ask a question. Yes, Andre? Is such a thing normal for American poker? Regulus gave a tired sigh, but couldn't help but grin. No, pal. That was because of his power. Andre nodded his head like he understood, then pulled a scrap of paper from his saddlebag and quickly scribbled on it. When it was Kenji's turn for Watch to finally come up after they had all gone to sleep setting camp, he couldn't help but reminisce about the time he and Washi had camped in the woods, only to find the Emperor of Japan's shape-shifting advisor. Time flies, eh? Arashi spoke into his mic. You've been quiet recently, Arashi. Is something wrong? No, no, Bushida. I just didn't think you wanted me around. I felt that you would rather be in peace than to exercise sin from this new land. Bushida, I am a demon from the depths of Jigoku. I crave danger, and you finally allowed me this. I am still bound to you. We will walk together in this life until we both draw our last. Kenji could have taken this as an ominous threat, but he knew that Arashi was at heart a good person. He'd been pardoned by the kami of winds and storms, and apparently was still considered a servant of them. It was very reassuring to know that his old allies still stood behind him. New allies too, he thought, noticing Abraham sat down across from him on a top of felled log. The tall black man was tuning a banjo. Kenji took a moment to breathe deeply, then the two heard a rumbling. Is that thunder? Abraham asked. Kenji shrugged and scanned the area around them.
It was just sandy dunes and badlands as far as the eye could see. Their campfire was the only sign of life for miles. Then the rumbling happened again. Abraham stood up, held out a palm, and droplets of water misted onto it. It is about to rain, but I don't think that is thunder, he said, pointing behind Kenji. The former samurai turned behind him and saw a massive, hulking shape leaping into the air and landing, now several meters closer to their camp. Kenji turned back around with wide eyes and saw Abraham waking up the rest of the group. Regulus sat up and wiped his eyes, then his face blanched. No, 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 no! I thought they destroyed him at Gettysburg! Damnable Americans! Otto said, then pulling out his shotgun and attaching several odd contraptions to the barrel and stock, then loading silver shells into the chamber. Andre squinted into the distance and coming danger. Gray, what the hell is that? Regulus passed Abraham, who was staring down the threat from the barrel of his rifle. Andre, I don't have time to ex fully explain it to you, but that is the Iron Horse. The Rebs' first attempt at evening out the odds against us boys in blue. I thought they managed to destroy it at the Battle of Gettysburg, but I'll be damned if they didn't piece him back together. Abraham piped up as he finished speaking. Gray, about twenty miles of the clover flask. Regulus swore heavily. Okay, officer, how in all the hills can we fight that creature? Otto asked, his shotgun now sporting many additional polished silver fastenings. Regulus shook his head. We damn sure can't outrun it, nor can we hope to outright overpower it. We'll have to try and use our abilities to the best of our ability, or we'll all be bones for whatever poor bastard rides this desert after us. A resolute nod came from all of them. The rain had begun to pick up now, and it was nearing one o'clock at night, and it was very dark. Only occasional flashes of lightning illuminated the wastes near them. The smoldering fire provided little helpful light. Kelly pointed upwards and cried, Look out! The group scattered as the iron horse landed on the small campfire with an immense crash, shattering the burning logs. Much like everything else in America, Kenji had never seen anything like the iron horse before. It was at least 12 feet tall. This, Kenji was sure of. The body of a gigantic metallic creature was vaguely humanoid. It had been crafted from crude iron. What did Abraham call it? Pig iron. Kenji could hear the hum of a steam engine inside its broad chest. Pistons and mechanisms were whirring and firing as the machine began to lumber towards them. As it grew closer, Kenji could see the defunct Confederacy States of America's flag painted onto its chest and on either arm. But worst of all, it said nary a word. Not a sound escaped from divot in the face meant to mark the mouth. Just the hum of the engine powering their demise. Kenji, however, had looked the master of darkness, the Kagaboshi, in the face and lived to tell the tale. So though the Iron Horse was impressive to his rather limited understanding of modern technology, he failed to fear the lurching hunk of metal. At least until Arashi whispered to him from the mask on his hip. So many souls trapped inside, screaming. What, Arashi? replied Kenji, pulling the mask over his mouth and rushing over to Regulus, who was attempting to start a fire to him to harness the smoke. Inside that miserable creature, several damned souls screaming for help. For death. Kenji listened. Now that he had the demon's ears, he could hear the numerous voices calling out from inside the iron horse, calling out and begging to be put out of their collective misery. 
He was an executioner of the gods, but even more so, he was a protector of the people. At least he was when he was a samurai, but he would not stand by and allow this to continue even more, even if he must exercise the souls himself. Regulus finally managed to get a fire going and began trying to waft the smoke in the now steadily heavier and heavier rain, but it was in vain. As it drew closer, Regulus dove backwards and ran towards Otto and Abraham. Kenji heard the discharge of Abraham's rifle and saw the bullet through his enhanced eyes and watched it miss, but it bounced off a droplet of water and slammed into the neck of the false person. Abraham's shoulders slumped, obviously hoping a lucky shot could have put down the enemy. Otto Ostrad chuckled and pulled down the lever of his shotgun. As he did so, a crackle of voltage ran across the silver fittings. He leveled the bayoneted barrel to the chest and fired. The shot burst from the gun and dented the Confederate flag splayed across the chest of the Iron Horse. Otto threw back his head and laughed. Behold, friends! If you can make God bleed, people will cease to believe in him. Unfortunately, right as he said that, the large, table-sized hands of the Iron Horse reared back and sent him across the way, landing him next to the horses in a dazed heap. Regulus directed Kelly over to him and raised his revolvers and shot them in tandem with Abraham's rifle. Kenji decided it was time to act. He jumped up and tried to find a chink in the armor of the Iron Horse. Though the iron was crude, the shell that it was composed was excellently crafted. The Confederate metal workers put their full effort into crafting the body of this monster. Kenji clambered onto its back and tried to stab into it with a pair of kunai, but the small blades couldn't penetrate the dense iron. He wobbled but managed to throw his arms around the thick neck and hold on for dear life. Regulus's eyes widened as he saw Kenji and stopped Abraham from firing again. He saw Kenji pull his tanto from his belt and attempt to use it to pry the machine's head from its shoulders. He couldn't quite get enough purchase and he yelped as the machine began to violently shake and twist in an attempt to buck Kenji off. His grip faltered and he began to fell off, but suddenly two arms made from storm clouds reached out from behind him and grabbed the shoulders. They refused to allow Kenji to fall and pulled him up when the machine believed him to have fallen. Kenji allowed himself a moment to assess the situation, and it was a moment too long. The iron horse's arm rotated in its socket and grabbed him around the chest and locked its large fingers around him, lifting him upwards. Andre sprang into action. He jumped up from the log Abraham had been sitting on and Kenji saw him turn translucent as he sailed through the machine's arm. Just as soon as he was clear, the Sicilian pirouetted in the air, unsheathed his sword, a glittering rapier, and sank it through the arm of the iron horse. He landed on the ground and drew his own small handgun that was strapped across his chest and fired a shot off to further distract the iron horse. Kenji, using this to his advantage, wiggled out of the creature's grasp and jumped from its hand. He was now about 20 feet into the air. He drew his own katana and held it outwards. Like an arrow, Kenji fell to the earth and buried it into the human-like metal head of the iron horse. But even this did not stop the Confederacy's first experiment. It reared back and almost toppled, but regained its footing, seemingly unaware of either of the swords that poked from its arm and head. Kenji finally says the talented hawk hides its claws, albeit in Japanese. As the words left Kenji's mouth, he drew his father's sword from his belt. The two arms carved from storm clouds shivered into view behind him. His friends could see ghostly scythes on chains being held by the specter-like hands. As a bolt of lightning flashed behind them, all five of the cowboys would have sworn that in Kenji's place was a six-armed, horned demon. The spectral arms threw their scythes around the arms of the rebel war machine and be began to pull it closer. 
Kenji drove his father's sword to the same gash he had driven his other weapon into. Now grabbing both the swords in his hands, he pried them apart, ripping open the false face. Thunder boomed again. Kenji could feel Arashi's hunger once again. It had been so long since he had felt this. Bloodlust. Arashi. Kenji was itching to pull the iron horse apart. Yet another pair of storm clouds shimmered into view and drove themselves into the chassis of the metal monster. Kenji grit his teeth and pulled it apart. It was a horrific sight inside. The insides of the horse were lined, a skeleton crafted from multiple other skeletons. There were seven hearts pitifully beating as gears clicked and clacked behind them, six lungs trying to draw air inside the head. Inside a metal container was a brain. Kenji used his newly rediscovered strength and pushed the horse down. He raised one human hand to the sky, but as he did, several wispy, ash-colored, ghost-like entities began to crawl and float their way out from the insides of the ruined machine. A perilous mistake. Kenji, in this haunted form, swung his two swords and two scythes in a vicious tornado of power. It ripped and shredded the spirits. Those of their number foolish enough to advance met with the second pair of spectral hands and sharp teeth of the mask. Kenji's eyes had become black as coal when all the spirits had disappeared. He released a blood-chilling roar as he simply turned to his friends. He collapsed onto the ground. <laughs> Kenji. Kenji. Kenji! The ronin's eyes shot open. He was in an orchard of cherry blossom trees overlooking a cliff face. Sitting at the edge of the cliff was a white-haired someone clad in a blue kimono, flat conical hat, and a more traditional red oni mask. How are you, Bushida-san? Arashi's voice came from the mask-wearing figure. Hello, Arashi. You came awfully close to losing yourself there, Kenji. Kenji couldn't respond to this. You're towing the line between life and death, Ronin. The spirits inhabiting that vessel were threatening to pull your soul out and have you join them. You're lucky that you were close enough to losing yourself that you were consumed, that you consumed them. If you hadn't, I likely wouldn't be here discussing it with you. As a matter of fact, you... But as Rashi was going to conclude his statement, dark, misty fog began to descend upon them. As Arashi stopped speaking to wonder what was happening in this place, a pair of dark, skeletal hands grabbed the top and bottom of his head, knocking his hat off and forcibly removed the oni mask from his face. Beneath the mask was none other than the kageboshi, the silhouette himself. Kenji, we are having so much fun. Darkness has found its way inside you, and you won't be able to shake it. Kenji's hands dropped to where his swords would be, but in whatever this place was, they were nowhere to be found. Why? Why are you haunting me? Kenji, the kagaboshe said, manipulating Arashi's form to a sickening smile. The one I really want to follow isn't quite heroic enough yet, and the other one I really liked is dead now. Well, was dead. 
You should be honored. I favored you enough to want to slaughter you with my own hands. <sighs> the silhouette laughed a long and cold laugh. And Kenji felt something jerk behind him, and he awoke. He awoke, gasping and sputtering at the water that had been splashed on him. Phew! Close one there, Regulus said, holding out a hand to Kenji. Kenji, confused and disoriented, took Regulus's extended hand and shook it. Regulus laughed, grabbed his arm, and pulled his friend up. Kenji blinked and pulled the half-mask from his face. Gray explained that they hadn't been able to get it off him. Kenji promised he'd explain that later. Kenji saw Abraham tending to Otto, who was bruised and battered, but alive. Andre walked up and handed Kenji his blades, having retrieved them from the remains of the iron horse. Kelly was a bit further away, studying the tracks the iron horse had left. After everyone fully recovered, Gray congratulated Kenji on his artful execution of the iron horse, but the rest of the group demanded to know how he was able to do it without any abilities granted from the loveless process. Kenji said he would, but asked Kelly what he was looking at. The tribesman looked up from where he was inspecting and mounted his horse. The others mimicked him, and he said, I believe the tracks of the horse can lead us to where Lovelace set him off. Gray immediately cut in. How could Lovelace order the iron horse? It, an it answered to only one order given by one man. Abraham said after this for Kenji's sake, Confederate President Jefferson Davis, and stamp out them damn Yankees. Kelly told him if he were to explain how he'd be able to track the doctor, they'd be there all night. If Gray would rather start over at square one, especially with just one clue, he was Kelly's guess. But he would be going his way, and if they didn't start soon, they were going to miss the train. Doc Lovelace is on a train in Silverton. Hot dog, boys, we got ourselves a lead, Regulus exclaimed. The group decided to follow Kelly, then once again demanded an explanation from Kenji. The Ronin took a deep voice and said, It started a long time ago. There was a corrupt ruler and a foolish samurai. And that will be all for today, my guest. We met with Kenji Bushido once more, now as an unfamiliar in a place that was backwards and forward. But one thing transcends even culture shock, the desire to do good. Even here, Kenji is an instrument for the will of the gods. Though he now hunts an evil and experimenting doctor rather than a corrupt and scheming shogun, some things really never change. Thank you for joining me. I do hope you'll do so again. As always, I've been the Raycontour. You've been my guest. And this has been my Compendium of Many Worlds. I'll see you next time. constantly moving through universes, but it definitely felt like about two months. The book had been steadily telling him about more and more as he proved himself. It approved of his heroics, saving people, fighting crime where he found it, things like that. To be completely honest, Lazarus wasn't certain exactly why he was traveling through these worlds. One of the many things he wasn't sure of. He knew who he was now, but this only made him question his resurrection more. Who had done it? And more importantly, why? Lazarus had decided that he wasn't going to rest until he found out who had brought him back and why they had done it. 
As a matter of fact, he was pursuing a lead right now. He dropped from the rooftop and followed the man who supposedly had information about him. He drew the thorn blight from the folds of his fur-lined coat, with his hood pulled up and the scythe on his back gl glinting off the streetlights. Lazarus looked to be a specter of death, following whatever poor soul time was up. Thank you.